I want to tell you a basketball story. So I have a, a youngest son who is about your age. He'd fit right in here. And uh, he loves to play basketball. The problem is he's about my size. So he obviously had no future in basketball. But he did make varsity of his little high school. He went to a small private high school in Fort Worth. And only about 60 or 70 in the graduating class. And so they were what you would expect at a small Christian high school. They were a bunch of well-coached, hustling boys who frankly just didn't have a whole lot of talent, okay? And so if we played schools about our size, we did okay. But it was December of my son's senior year, named Matthew. And uh, there's a school across town in Fort Worth, and it's a huge school, probably 10 times the size of my son's school. And they historically have some of the best basketball teams in our state and play for state championships almost every year. Well, that December... They had a game scheduled with an elite high school team from Chicago, and they had to cancel the coming at the last second. So their coach called our coach and said, would your boys like to come over and play our team? And our coach, in a moment of sheer insanity, said, yes. (laughs) And so we're driving across town to this huge school. A school that had three boys that year that got D1 college scholarships to play basketball. A school that second string could beat most of the high school basketball teams in Texas. They're that good. And as we drive across town, I said to my wife, I just hope we don't get beat by 50. And I meant it. So we get there, and their their side of the court is packed with several thousand people. We got about 100 people on our side. And I said to all them, hey, it would be a victory if we just don't lose by 50. So the game started, and it went just like I would have expected. For one quarter, we kept it close because our boys were well coached, and they did hustle. But after a while, just sheer size and depth and talent took over. We got behind by 10, and then second quarter by 20, and then second half by 30, and then by 40. With less than a minute to go, we are behind by 52 points, okay? My son's at the free throw line, makes both free throws. We're down 50. They take the ball down the court. Two miracles happen. Miracle number one, they missed. Miracle number two, we got the rebound. We rush down the court. A boy shoots, clanks. The ball comes all the way to the three-point line where my son's standing in the corner. He picks it up, shoot, buzzer off, swish. We lost by 47. And everybody in our side of the field stood up going, yes, 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 yes. All the boys ran off the bench and started matting my boy on the back. Way to go, Matt. Way to go, Matt. And all the, the thousands of people on the other side of the court were looking at, what is wrong with those people? Okay, believe it or not, I just gave you a picture of the early church. I mean, here they are, and it looks like they're getting slaughtered. And they're so full of joy, and they're so full of energy, and they're so full of purpose. And what was motivating them? I mean, they didn't have economic power. They didn't have political clout. They didn't have educational status. But here's what they did have. They had the best gift ever. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit. So uh, I love this idea oddity, the things that Jesus said that were just strange. And I'm going to share with you one of the most strange in just a moment. But here's the context. 
It's the night before Jesus is about to die. In John 14 through 16, he's giving his disciples kind of a final teaching. And in this teaching, 10 different times, Jesus says, I am going away. Are you kidding me? We left everything to follow you. And now you say you're going to leave us? Ten times, I am going away. And that's bad news. But have you ever noticed how sometimes bad news can actually be good news? I'll give you an example. So the other day, I ripped a hole in the knee of my favorite pair of jeans. Okay? That's bad news. Then I thought, good news. Now I can be a worship leader. You see, things can happen like that. So... They're thinking, this is bad news. Because they didn't know something Jesus didn't know. Now, here's what he said. Now, look at this with me. It's John 16, 5 through 7. And this is odd. Okay, here we go. But now I'm going to him who sent me. And none of you ask me, where are you going? Rather, you're filled with grief because I've said these things. But very truly, I tell you, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. What a strange thing to say. It is for your good that I'm going away. What they heard was it couldn't possibly get any worse. But what Jesus said is the best is yet to come. Now, he didn't sugarcoat it. He said, it's about to get bad, guys. It's going to look like you're getting slaughtered. They're going to arrest you. They're going to throw you in jail. There are people who are going to think they're doing God a favor if they kill you, okay? And and here's the thing. He doesn't tell them to face this very uncertain and hostile future by doing the things you would think. Like, you just need to read your Bible more. Or you just need to think more positively. You need to join a small group. No. He doesn't even try to comfort them by answering all their questions. The only thing they needed to know was this. Jesus was going to send them the Holy Spirit. It is for your good. Now, look look at that same phrase in different translations. It is profitable for you. It is expedient for you. It is to your advantage. It is better for you. And I am going to do what is best for you. And I think the disciples had a hard time believing that. Jesus, you have said some odd things, but this might be the top of the list. It's better for us who left everything to be with you for you to leave us. I think they had a hard time believing that. I think we do too. Doesn't it make sense that it just be better 
If Jesus could be here in person and we could look at him and we could bow down and we could worship, wouldn't that be better? But see, I, I think we need to let Jesus inform our ideas about the Holy Spirit. Here's why. Because Jesus had the best view of the Holy Spirit. And you'll never appreciate how much we should appreciate the Holy Spirit until we understand how much Jesus did. Jesus thought the Holy Spirit was the best. And his view wasn't formed in seminary. It wasn't formed by some theological system or some systematic theology. It was formed out of actual, intimate, personal experience. Uh, look at this verse, Luke 4, 1. It says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, that's not one day in Jesus' life. That is how Jesus lived every day. Jesus knew what a gift the Holy Spirit was. In fact, I'm just going to walk you quickly through some of the statements in the Bible about Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Uh, you might remember that the angel came to his mother Mary and said in Luke 1.35 that you would be conceived or impregnated by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was conceived in the power of the Holy Spirit. Acts 10.38 says that Peter was preaching a sermon. He said, Jesus went around doing good, healing the sick, casting out demons in the power of the Holy Spirit. So it was in the Holy Spirit that Jesus did all of his ministry. Uh, Luke 10.21 says Jesus was full of joy through the Holy Spirit. Now, I don't know what your view of Jesus is, uh, but I think he smiled a lot. I think we'd be surprised how happy he seemed to be because he lived in the constant flow of the Holy Spirit. Uh, this is amazing. Uh, Hebrews 9.14 says that Jesus offered his life through the Holy Spirit. It was the Holy Spirit that gave Jesus the courage to walk intentionally toward a cross. And then Romans 8, 11 says, Jesus was raised from the dead through the Holy Spirit. And then Acts 1, 2 says that Jesus spent his last 40 days after, before his ascension teaching about the kingdom through the Holy Spirit. So get what I just said. From conception to ascension. Jesus lived every day full of, enabled by, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we believe he lived the best life ever. So he knew exactly what he was saying. Even though it sounded so strange to them, it is for your good that I leave. Because then I will send you the advocate, the comforter. The Holy Spirit. Now, I want to just say two things today about the Holy Spirit. They're very simple, but don't think they're shallow. They're very deep, but they're very simple. And here's the first thing. The Holy Spirit is God. You say, duh. No, wait a second, because we kind of know that, but then a lot of times what we think is the Holy Spirit is God on the JV. You know, he's God in the minor leagues. He Every now and then we call him up, he gets to play in major leagues, but then he goes back to the minor leagues. The Holy Spirit is not the third wheel of the Godhead. He's the third member of 
the Godhead. Uh, he's not less of Jesus. He is all of God. Uh, Jesus said one time, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. But he could also say, if you've seen the Holy Spirit, you've seen me. Look at this verse with me. This is from 2 Corinthians. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. That word's it's important. He, he, he didn't say, and just the power or the impact. He said, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Why is that important? Because the Holy Spirit's not a power. The Holy Spirit is a person. You say, why does that matter? Because you use a power, but you get to know, you have relationship with, you encounter fellowship with a person. So in, uh, in Acts chapter 8, uh, the apostle Peter in a place called Samaria, he's doing some powerful ministry. People are getting healed and amazing things are happening. And there's this guy there named Simon, and he's so impressed and he says to Peter, he says, hey, I want that. What you got? That, that, whatever it is you're doing there, I want, I want to buy it. I want to buy that power. And, and you can go home and read it yourself later. So Peter turns to him and gives him one of the hardest rebukes anybody in the Bible ever gets. Why? Because you don't buy God. You don't use God. God, you don't tame or domesticate or control God. Jesus compared the Holy Spirit to the wind. He says the wind blows where it wills. God is going to do in the person of the Holy Spirit whatever God wants to do. The Holy Spirit is God. Now think about this. So we sing songs like Holy Spirit. You are welcome here. But then sometimes we mean, as long as you don't mess things up too much. As long as you don't change my life too much. As long as you don't get me out of my comfort zone. I, I, I'm from Texas, uh, central Texas. Uh, when I was a boy, we would have these family reunions and Oh, it would be so hot in July. And most of my family were not Christians. In fact, most of my family, they're either in jail or they're in bars starting to fight. So I got some crazy uncles. Everybody got crazy uncles. I had some crazy uncles. And when we would have the family reunion, it was always weird. Like, should we invite Uncle Leon? Okay? Because let's face it, if Uncle Leon shows up, it could get rowdy. Okay? And so we, we felt like, okay, we ought to because he's in a family, but we kind of hope he doesn't come. And that's kind of sometimes how we are with the Holy Spirit. Right? Like, okay, we know we ought to invite you. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. But we kind of hope you don't come because it, it might get rowdy. All right? And, and, and so, okay, you can come, Holy Spirit, but stay there. You don't box God. When I was a boy, we used to sing this song, uh, Revive Us Again, old hymn. And, and the last verse, I tell you, it's one of the most dangerous verses ever penned by a hymnist. And I don't even think the people realized what we were singing. This is how it went. We would sing, revive us again. 
Fill each heart with thy love. May each soul be rekindled with fire from above. Do you hear what we just prayed? God, send your fire into this church. We didn't mean that. Last thing we wanted was fire from above. If it did come, we wanted a controlled burn, okay? We didn't want God just going wherever he wanted, putting fire. No, here's my point. The Holy Spirit is a gift. But he's not a gift you can just put in a box. Because the Holy Spirit is God. And when God shows up, he doesn't take orders. He gives them. But why would we need to be afraid of that? Why would we ever need to be afraid of a fresh, powerful experience with the Holy Spirit? So uh, some years ago, a man sent an email to a hotel in Florida he wanted to go to for a vacation, but he had a dog. He said, I'd very much like to bring my dog with me. He's well-groomed, very well-behaved. Would that be okay? He promptly got an email reply. He said, I've been uh, operating this hotel for many years, and all that time I've never had a dog steal towels, bedclothes, silverware, pictures off the walls. I've never had to evict a dog in the middle of the night for being drunk and disorderly. I've never had a dog run out on a hotel bill. Yes, indeed, your dog is welcome in my hotel. And if your dog will vouch for you, you're welcome to stay here too. <laughs> okay, here's, here's my point. What has the Holy Spirit ever done that we should be afraid of Him? That we should be afraid to have a fresh, powerful, never had it before, kind of an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Because here's the second big point. The Holy Spirit is good. Jesus knew better than anyone that the fellowship and the ministry of the Holy Spirit is the best. In fact, he he couldn't say enough good things about the Holy Spirit. The word he used in the translation I read earlier was the word advocate. I'm going to send the advocate. It's better if I leave so I can send the advocate. Look at that same word in some other translations. One translation says, I'm going to send the friend. One says, the counselor. Another says, the comforter. And maybe my personal favorite, the helper. The Holy Spirit Helps us. Now, you know, I believe a, a lot of the way we pray is a reflection of what kind of God we think we're praying to. Jesus taught us how to pray, and He said, You start with this, our Father in heaven. And He went on to explain it like this He said, You know, now you, you, you dads, if your baby girl asked you for a piece of bread, would you give her a snake? If your, if your son was hungry and said, Dad, can I have an egg? Would you give him a scorpion? And, and then he said this in Luke 11. Now, if you then, though you're evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
How much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? God wants to give you the Holy Spirit in fresh and powerful ways every day. Here's why. Because God wants you to have a supernatural life. God doesn't want you doing life in your own strength, in the power of your own flesh every day. God wants you to experience a kind of life that is full of joy and peace and gentleness and kindness and patience and self-control. God wants you to experience a kind of life where communion with Him is just normal. God wants you to live the kind of life where you just kind of feel full of purpose and you feel kind of led into moments. God wants you to live the kind of life where all of a sudden you just have the words to share with someone who's in a tough place. God wants you to live a supernatural life. And to do it, You need some help. And he wants to give it. Or maybe I should say better. He wants to give him. And and so nothing the Holy Spirit is ever going to do for you or for me needs to be restrained. If we are fearing surrendering to the Holy Spirit, we're actually questioning The goodness of God. The Holy Spirit is God and the Holy Spirit is good. And maybe all of this is just so old to you, but it wasn't to me. Now, now I I grew up, well, I I didn't grow up all my life in church. My my folks uh, didn't grow up in Christian homes. And uh, when I was a boy, they split up. So I lived part of my life um, without uh, a dad in my life. And, and to my eternal uh, gratitude, my mom and dad decided to try to make their family and their marriage work for the sake of their two boys. And so they got back together. And one of the decisions they made was, we're going to go to church. They knew they needed some help. And so we became that family. We just started going to church. And it was such a blessing. And so from about second, third grade on, I, I, I got to go to church with my mom and dad every week. And yet I got to tell you, I was taught to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. I was taught the Holy Spirit is for those crazy Christians I was taught the Holy Spirit makes you weird. And, and maybe your experience is like mine. Maybe you've, you've tried to follow Christ most of your life without asking for the help of the Holy Spirit. Why would we do that? One reason might be negligent theology. Some of us, we just weren't taught about the Holy Spirit. And some of us, if we were taught anything about the Holy Spirit, we were taught what He doesn't do anymore. That's all we ever heard. And I wonder why why is that? And here's what I think happened, at least in my little church. We were trying to reconcile the powerful ways we saw the Spirit of God moving and changing and impacting people in the New Testament with the reality of our own church. See, in the New Testament, the Holy Spirit is moving people to to heal and to proclaim and to prophesy and to reach out and to evangelize. And churches are getting planted and people are getting saved and and demons are getting cast out. That's what we read in the Bible. 
And at my little church, we can't even get people on the back row to move up to the front when the preacher asks. Right? And so we had to figure out how can I reconcile what's happening in the Bible with what's happening in my church. And so we invented theologies about the Holy Spirit based on our lack of experience with the Holy Spirit. Like, well, the Holy Spirit, he mainly just works in the Bible. Or, well, he used to do some really, really powerful stuff back then, but he doesn't do that stuff anymore. Really? Where does it say that in the Bible? Here's what Jesus said. Look at this with me. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you. Say that word with me. Forever. Does the church today need some help? Yeah, the Holy Spirit didn't help in a church in one generation. He's sent to help the church in every generation. You need to be suspicious of anybody talking about the Holy Spirit that puts him on tranquilizers, okay? The Holy Spirit is alive and well. And so, at least for me, one of the reasons I grew up afraid of the Holy Spirit is I was taught to be. But then there was something else that happened. And maybe this is you too. I had some negative experiences with people that talked about the Holy Spirit. Um, I went to a college, in a West Texas college in Abilene. Nothing too famous. Uh, my best friend and roommate was Max Lacado, which isn't important to this sermon. I just like to name drop. And... Uh, <laughs> And I heard about some students that were meeting on Saturday night. And they were having some powerful worship experiences. I thought, that would be cool. I'd like to come. So I went to the leader. I said, I'd like to come next Saturday night to your worship event. He said, you're not invited. This, this event is only for people full of the Holy Spirit. Well, he was full of something. <laughs> but it wasn't the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit unites the body of Christ. He doesn't divide the body of Christ. An elitist spirit in the body is not holy, and it doesn't come from God. Listen, the Holy Spirit, I, I pray, I really do, I hope that you have powerful encounters with the Spirit of God. But the Holy Spirit doesn't come to make you better than anybody else. He comes to make you better than yourself. But I think there's one more reason. Maybe for some, we, we haven't really embraced the gift of the Spirit because we just haven't taught about it. Maybe for some of you, you've been a little bit weary of the Holy Spirit because somebody somewhere gave you a really bad experience. But here's what I think it is for most of us. We don't need Him. And here's what I mean. Most of the Christians I know can live pretty comfortable lives without the help of the Holy Spirit. We have talents. We have resources. We don't need any divine help to have a pretty nice life. And so, here's what happens. We settle for this tepid, 
dull, boring, innocuous kind of discipleship that doesn't ask anything of me except go to church some of the time, maybe give a little money, maybe cuss less than the people at the office, and be nice to my neighbor. And you know what? I don't need any help to be that person. I can do that in my own strength. Soren Kierkegaard in his book, The Purity is to Will One Thing, tells a story about a town of ducks. And on Sunday, they would all waddle down the street to duck church. They'd waddle up the steps. They'd waddle down the aisle. They'd waddle into their pews. The, the duck pastor would waddle up the steps to the pulpit, and he would say, Ducks, we have wings, and with wings we can fly. With wings we can soar like eagles. Walls can't contain us. Fences can't bind us. We can fly, ducks. We can fly. And all the ducks would say, amen, and then service would be over, and everybody would get up and waddle back out to church and waddle home. <laughs> Here's the point. If the greatest goal of your life is to be comfortable, then why do you need a comforter? See, I think the greatest anxiety, if I get honest about getting really open to the leading of the Holy Spirit in my life, Jesus said, it's better for you, but I'm thinking, well, Jesus, your definition of what's good for me and my definition of what's good for me may not be the same. My definition of what's good for me is a nice, safe, unchallenged, boring life with good coffee. And your definition of what's good for me might be sacrifice and surrender and going places that would be hard to go. You see, I, I like to lead. I don't like to be led. But the the whole essence of discipleship is followship. Jesus is calling us to this radical, strange, weird life of dying to self. And if I'm going to do that, I'm going to need some help. And he's made it available. You see, Jesus did what is best for us so we could be our best for him. Because here's the thing. The world we live in today is a whole lot like a basketball game between a little bitty school and a big giant school. We live in a world of uncertainty and increasing hostility toward the things of God. Philip Yancey, well-known Christian author, said a, a Muslim man came to him one time. And he said, I have read the Koran cover to cover many times. And I can find no instruction in the Koran for how to live as a Muslim in the minority. 
And I have read the New Testament cover to cover many times. And I can find no instruction in the New Testament on how to live as a Christian in the majority. We are the visiting team. We're not the home team, and we're not on the home field, and we don't have that advantage. We never have, and frankly, it doesn't bother me. You look through church history, we have always been our best as a people. We embrace the fact that we are the minority. And we've got this strange, weird, odd strategy. Here's how we're going to win. Here's how, when it looks like we're getting slaughtered, we're going to be full of joy. Here's how when it seems like we lost, we feel great. Here's how. We are going to live and we're going to love like Jesus did. And to do that, we're going to need some help. So here's the thing. If we're going to make more of a difference, we've got to have more of the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will not make you weird. He will make you strange in the most wonderful way. Because he'll make you more like Jesus. Let me give you just a very real example of this. So at the same school that I went to, some years later, a man named Kent Brantley went to, and uh, you might remember a few years ago, Dr. Kent Brantley went from being this unknown little medical guy in Liberia to the cover of Time magazine. He and his wife, Amber, took their family to serve the poorest of the poor. Now, here's a man with his training. He could, live an, he, could, he could live the dream. I mean, he could live a life of safety and ease and comfort. And instead, he's going where nobody wants to go, doing what nobody wants to do. How odd is that? And then the Ebola crisis hit. And they only had one little vial of medicine that might possibly save, and he wants to give it to the lady he works with instead of taking it himself. And you, you remember that when they flew him back to America, and there was even controversy about should we let him in the country? He's got Ebola. And they took him to Atlanta, and we saw all that. And I took that picture the next day, and I, and I showed it to my church. And, and I said, I want us to pray for Kent. A lot of us knew him. I want us to pray for a miracle. But then I said, but I don't want you to miss the miracle. I don't want you to miss the miracle that's already happened. That here's a man that could have everything that the American dream says matters, and he gave it all up, and he found joy, and he found life serving the poorest of the poor. That's a miracle. Who does that? Who would live such a weird, odd life? And I would tell you who. Someone who's so full of the Spirit of Christ that it doesn't seem like a sacrifice. It seemed like a mission worth giving your life to. And God did choose to miraculously heal Kent Brantley. And he now lives in my city of Fort Worth. 
And he could live like a rock star and he could go on book tours and he could make a boatload of money and live on a nice golf course. By the way, if you do, that's not a bad thing. You know what he's doing? He met with me and some of our leaders just recently to ask if we'd send him back to Africa. How stunningly odd. And yet, don't feel sorry for him. He is full of joy because he is full of the Spirit of God. And that's the life God wants you to live. A life of sacrifice, a life of mission, a life of joy. A life that isn't going to make sense to the people on the other side of the court. But it makes a difference even on the other side of the world. But to do it, you need some help. So, we're about to have a, a, a season of prayer. But I'd, I'd like to lead into that season by asking you to pray with me. Would you bow your head, please?